It's go time. Welcome, everyone, to Quick Kicks here on Third Down Gamble. I'm Don Charbon along with Heath Graham. And it's been a rough, sad week, not only for those who cherish our heroes in the Canadian Football League, but also tragic events in in the city of Kansas City where a shooting took place at the end of the celebration there and has left at least one dead and dozens wounded. And it's a sad thing. We don't know much about the rest of the story about that. It's not our place to comment on that until more police investigation happens. But our hearts and prayers go out to everyone where a celebration turns so tragic. It's a very sad situation. Unfortunately, a Super Bowl parade or any championship parade is a celebration that should be unifying the city and allowing people to rally around the team and feel good about themselves. And a situation like this, unfortunately, occurred today. And it's a a tough one to swallow and really takes away from what should have been a very celebratory event. Precisely. And we just don't know what's going to come of all of this. So it's so hard, but our hearts do go out. It's really, really tough to learn of this. And this is just happening moments before we're actually starting to record. So it's really fresh for us. More sad notes. The CFL has lost two of its greatest legends. Uh, First off, probably one of the most famous quarterbacks in CFL history, a man that led the Blue Bombers to four Grey Cup championships. Kenny Plain passed away on February 13th. Soon after, his running back, guy that was second all-time in Canadian statistics in terms of total yards rushing. Jerry James from Regina, Saskatchewan also died. The men were both in their 80s. Whenever they go, as with George Reed last fall, it's it really sends us into a, a tough uh, moment of sad but yet fond reflection. It does. Our, our hearts go out to the families of both of these gentlemen as well. And as much as George Reed was a legend in Saskatchewan, Jerry James and Kenny Plain were synonymous with the Blue Bombers of those late 50s, early 60s. As you mentioned, Jerry James is a was a Canadian-born player from Saskatchewan. Also had a little stint in the NHL, so an interesting side note there. He played uh, over 100 games in the NHL, as well as a phenomenal CFL career. And Ken Plain was one of those early adapters of an American-born CFL player who made Canada their home after they retired as well. He stayed in Winnipeg, developed a lot of personal and professional relationships in the city of Winnipeg as well. So a real tough loss for the CFL and the fact that they are both bomber legends, it's a really, really sad day for Winnipeg Blue Bomber fans. The James and Plain era that you refer to was, I would say, the first amazing run that the Blue Bombers had. This is when the CFL was actually in in its infancy, and here are the Bombers from the West going out. They lose in 57, they win in 58, 59, 61, and 62. Yeah, certainly one of the 
most celebrated eras in Blue Bomber history. And as far as the modern era, the post-World War II era of Canadian football, it was the first real sustained championship run in Winnipeg. Very fortunate for me, although it was way too brief. I happened to attend a Blue Bombers game. This was maybe a decade ago where Kenny Plain was actually signing autographs at the time. That to me was special. Uh, You don't get much of a chance to communicate in those moments. From everything I ever knew and talking to Bob Irving, who knew him quite well, Kenny Plain was class consummate. He was just a genuine, genuine human being. CFL free agency is in full swing. In the last 24 hours, that would be February 13th, February 14th, running backs seem to be finding a home. Your thoughts? Prior to the free agency window and when the 2023 season wrapped up, we had talked a lot about quarterbacks and and possible moves and shuffling the deck, but a lot of quarterbacks have stayed put. It's the running backs that are on the move. We now have the official signings of A.J. Olette joining the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Kadeem Carey announced today is going to Toronto as his replacement. Jamal Morrow has gone to the Calgary Stampeders and formerly of the Montreal Alouettes, William Stanback has gone to the BC Lions. So a lot of new running backs coming in. Of course, the news out of Winnipeg last week was the re-signing of Brady Oliveira. He stays put there. But what are your thoughts on the running back situation and whose running game has improved with these signings? It's hard to gauge. And one of the comments that I read from the Saskatchewan Rough Riders was that Grey Cups aren't won in February. For the most part, these were sort of even acrosses in terms of talent, experience. Kadeem Carey in Toronto is a huge get for the Argonauts because they were in trouble. They were going to be without Andrew Harris because he was retiring. So they had to have somebody to replace Ouellette. They've finally settled on Kadeem Carey. If he can stay healthy, he will be vital to that team. We look at William Stanback in British Columbia, a guy that's perennially at or over 1,000 yards throughout his career. The Alouettes and him could not come to a number that they could settle on. They cut him, as per his request, to get out of there so that he could be an FA, and as a free agent, he signs with the Lions. Now, that puts some pressure in that room because there is an incumbent there. Then you've got the Rough Riders, of course, with A.J. Ouellette, who they couldn't have hyped this signing any better. The Rough Riders have done a fantastic job of, of marketing this, I'll give credit to most of the teams. When a signing came out, there was something associated with it on Twitter, Instagram, somewhere where they had built in a bit of a promo to introduce the player. Fantastic. This is what the CFL needs to do is celebrate these movements. I know for some fans, losing a star player to another team hurts, but it's within the context of a league. And I think overall, the league benefits by keeping talent within the nine teams. It does. Um, A.J. Olette is probably the most marketable of the running backs that are on the move to new teams this year. I, I agree. I think the Rough Riders were smart to really promote that. 
Now, you mentioned the incumbent in BC. Taekwon Mizell was the running back of note in 2023. If healthy, I would say that William Standback is an improvement at that position. He's a bit bigger than Mizell, a lot more CFL experience as well. And, and BC is a team that, because they were so potent in their receiving core, sometimes had the running game as very much an afterthought. And I, I think bringing somebody of Standback's caliber, again, you, if healthy, so Kadeem Carey, William Standback, both coming off serious injuries last season, he's looking for a fresh start and can really be a stabilizing factor, I think, on that BC Lions offense. People will often ask, what is the big deal? And we've heard a lot of talk, especially out of the NFL, how the running back's importance has fallen down. And the CFL is a pass-happy league. The reason why you need a good running game is that you need to keep the defense honest. And what does that mean? Well, that means that they don't necessarily know what you're going to do on any given play. Therefore, they have to assess and maybe use probability to say you're going to do this. And if they guess wrong and you run, let's say they chose pass and you run, you get the first down, then they're going to reassess all the time. And that's what you want to do is have the defense guessing. If you don't have a running game, then you're really depending on that offensive line to hold everybody at bay. That includes blitzes. You just don't give your offense a chance if your quarterback is on the run. Another contributing factor for running backs is how well they block. And this year we saw the retirement of one of the best blocking running backs in the CFL that we've seen in quite some time in Andrew Harris. He, even as he started to slow down and not eat up the yards as a running back that he had in previous seasons, was still a valuable commodity because he was so adept at picking up those blitzes, giving that quarterback a little bit extra time on a pass play to find an open man downfield, and was still strong and quick enough that he was a running threat that the defenses had to be wary of. And that's the key for me with these running back signings is who improves the running game, but also who is a capable blocker. Again, William Stanback far outclasses Taekwon Mizell as a blocking back. So that's another reason why he was a key signing for the BC Lions. Part of the job description for a running back, you have to be able to block. Those that do not block typically don't last long. Now, one exception would be Charles Roberts, who was not a really good protector of the quarterback, but he ran so well, you take the good with the bad. Wes Cates could do both. And a famous quote from Danny McManus was that when Wes Cates was on the field, I didn't have to worry about my blind side. And as a quarterback, that builds confidence because you don't have to worry because you know you've got someone protecting you over there. And that's especially when it comes to blitzing. Running backs are not so much diminished in what their need is. Their need is changing. And that's part and parcel of the way the game is changing. They have to be able to catch coming out of the backfield. They have to be able to block and especially pick up blitzes. And if you're good at both, then you'll get your chances with the Rock. And one comment I heard on the broadcast on Sunday at the Super Bowl, if you don't block, you don't get the Rock. As much as players have been signed, let's look at a couple that still remain out there. Amondo Sewell, for instance, is, was, was released by the Montreal Alouettes, still hasn't been picked up. 
Uh, you've got from Edmonton, you've also got AC Leonard who hasn't signed. Probably the biggest gem out there is Tim White. And this could be, and if you remember back, if, if you've been with our podcast for the last five seasons, and that is five years, you remember at the very beginning, we were talking about who was going to sign Devere Posey and it never came to pass. Devere Posey never played another game. Is Tim White pricing himself out of the market by asking for 300 large? He very well could be. You have two current receivers that are in that range for salary, and that is Eugene Lewis with Edmonton and Kenny Lawler of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Tim White is very close to the skill of those two, I would say, in the ability to break a game open. But there's not a lot of other contracts being thrown around with that kind of money for receivers. Dalton Schoen is about 70000 less than that. He was rumored to sign around two fifteen, two hundred and thirty thousand. He's been one of the top receivers over the last two seasons. I would anticipate Tim White probably settling for somewhere around 250, 260. I just don't know at this point how many teams can commit that kind of money for another receiver. There are a couple other receiver names out there as well. Rashid Bailey, certainly not of the same caliber as Tim White by any means, but a valuable possession receiver, a good blocker. He hasn't signed yet. Cam Phillips, also most recently with the Toronto Argonauts, 28 years old. He's another receiver. And then, of course, you have Lucky Whitehead, formerly of the BC Lions, looking for a contract as well. So there are some some other receivers in play, and I don't know if White is going to be able to hold out for the money that he's hoping for. And as those other players start to get snapped up, he might have to look at some lower offers. It's a bit of a dangerous game to play by not signing. You think that there's going to be need and need is going to trump and you're going to get what you can get for your request, i.e. as close to 300 as possible. There is also a problem that there may not be much money left in the account to pay somebody. And this is the trade-off of signing early where, okay, I may have taken a bit less than at least I've got a contract versus signing late. Well, I'm holding out and until I get my money, I'm going to sit and wait. Uh, he's been, and we, we use the player name, but quite often the agent has a lot to do with what happens. Camp Phillips is a bit of a surprise to me. Rashid Bailey kind of took a hometown discount last year to stay with the Blue Bombers. I'm guessing he wants to get paid this year. The other one is Janarian Grant, who has been dynamite and electric in kick returning, and he still isn't signed. Of, is it is it money? Is it something else? What's not happening here? If I remember correctly, Janarian Grant was a bit of a later signing in the previous year as well. So he might be sitting on a number that he's hoping to get as well. The risk of, of waiting it out is very valid. There are only nine teams in the CFL. And you look at receiving cores across the league, a lot of teams already have a marquee receiver. Again, now you're looking at trying to fit a large salary within your within your cap. It's got to be tough to do. Patty Newfeld, the offensive lineman for the Bombers, actually talked about 
free agency and how he likes to be one of the first guys in. He likes to sign those contracts early because he doesn't want to wait and see. He finds a number that he's comfortable with, whether it's exactly what he was asking or something that he seems as fair and jumps at the opportunity. And there is something to be said for that philosophy. Last year, we saw Montreal sign a couple of veterans late. Did they get the money that they wanted? Maybe, but they also lost a half a season to get it. If you're Sean Lemon, did you it, did it work out well for you? Well, you've got a contract again this year with the Alouettes. You want to go that route? More power to you. Uh, nobody's saying you can't. If you're taking that chance, you know what the risk is. Linebacker Larry Dean is another name out there, and you talk about a veteran presence and playing the waiting game. That is a, a prime example of it. He put up big numbers and, and had a lot of success previously in Edmonton and Saskatchewan, and now is waiting to find that next opportunity. It looks like there's a domino effect, and once key players in certain positions start to go, the other ones seem to get snapped up. And Larry Dean right now is probably the best linebacker still on the market. Jake Dolagala winds up in British Columbia. Are the Riders content now that they've got their quarterback room the way they want it? They seem to be happy with retaining Mason Fine, and Jake Dolagala was the one in the mix that was expendable. The BC Lions, with the retirement of Dane Evans, left a hole to fill, and they've got a couple of pieces in there now that are somewhat experienced backups for Vernon Adams Jr., Jake Dolagala and Dakota Prukop have both signed with BC at this point, so they have a quarterback room, I believe, that they are happy with. It remains to be seen with Saskatchewan. We know Trevor Harris is coming off injury and should be the starter at the commencement of the 2024 season. Mason Fine is in that backup role. I think the Riders are ready to go. They've signed Antonio Pipkin. Shea Patterson is still out there. He was on the roster. Is he in consideration for another crack at that Saskatchewan lineup, or have they given up on him? Antonio Pipkin, not since the days that he was replaced by Vernon Adams Jr. in Montreal, was he playing meaningful minutes as a starter. So that's been a while. The Riders, I don't think, have him penciled in as their number three in terms of being a starting quarterback. So then who do you go to? It's going to be tough for Shea Patterson to crack that roster is what it says. I I think, again, you've got Pipkin likely as your short yardage specialist. You've got Mason Fine as your number two, and you've got Trevor Harris as your number one. If Patterson does re-sign, he's going to have a, he's he's going to need to have a heck of a training camp to crack that roster and dress for the games. The Argonauts, the other team that we've, followed. They took a hit on defense. They lost Jamal Peters. They've likely to lose Qantas Stiggers. They seem to be content with that in the sense that they had backups that were capable of coming in. You didn't see the Argonauts go out and raid anybody else for linebackers or corners. It's interesting to see and and something similar has happened with the, the Blue Bombers over the last couple seasons as well. When you build that on-field success that the Argonauts have done, you're going to lose some players because everybody's looking for a raise. 
in order to build that successful team, it's not just the starters, it's everybody else that is on the team and fighting for roster spots. So obviously Toronto is comfortable with what's next in line to fill in some of those gaps. It'll be interesting to see what happens. There are going to be some untested players. It appears the Argonauts have faith in their ability to step in, kind of like what we saw with the Calgary Stampeders for season after season after season of that next man up mentality. And we'll see if if Calgary East in the Toronto Argonauts have some of that magic as well. They did sign Quincy Marger from the BC Lions, and they did sign Tunda Adelike from the Hamilton Tiger Cats. So you've got a American and a Canadian, but they did promote from within. And that's huge for the Argonauts. If they've got that assembly line, as it were, going forward, they will be strong regardless because you've got people in the system that can pick up what's going on. Ottawa, who they've got their quarterback, they got in a trade, Drew Brown. Now, did the Red Blacks get what they wanted from free agency? Again, Ottawa is that, that question mark. They've struggled over the last few seasons. Much like the Edmonton Elks, you can't just be constantly in rebuild mode. You have to go with what you've got and fill in a couple of pieces here and there. Ottawa's made some moves, but not the big impact ones other than the trade for Drew Brown. I think it's time for Ottawa to really see what they've got. I don't know how much more you can you can give it before you completely blow things up. But like I said, you, you can't just rebuild, rebuild, rebuild. Eventually, you've got to let people grow into what you brought them in to do. Uh, Darius Pickett is probably their biggest get on defense. They re-signed Mandrashik Hunter. They've got some experience back there. They've got some youth back there. Their D-line is set. There's a lot of push by Sean Burke to make sure the defense is good. If if that works well, then it'll keep them in games and give Drew Brown and that offense time to figure out what they need to do to win. Jackson Jeffcoat was a name that stuck out to me too. And this is interesting that he, rather than becoming an FA, decided to retire he was the other anchor on that defensive line for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers that took the pressure off of Willie Jefferson. Jeffcoat, when he was available, and this last season he was available most of the time, he was the guy that took a double team and made offenses pick their poison. Who do you want to double up, Jefferson or Jeffcoat? That's a big loss for Winnipeg. Interesting to those of you who listened to last week's episode, we talked about defensive linemen and Matthew Betts and Jackson Jeffcoat were two unsigned names that we talked at length about and the possibilities of where they will end up. Well, we now know Jeffcoat has retired. Matthew Betts has signed a futures contract with the Detroit Lions of the NFL. So both of those guys seem to be off the table for now. Winnipeg is going to need to bring in another end rush to compliment Willie Jefferson. Jefferson's not the biggest defensive lineman. He's tall and lanky and quick, but he needs somebody else to take the pressure off of those double teams in order to be the best that Willie Jefferson can be. If you're Winnipeg and you look at your landscape and you go, well, we got four out of five of our offensive line back. We've got our quarterback. We've got our receivers. We've got our running back. Their offense is pretty good. The defense is where the question mark is going to be because without Jeff Coat, how do they shuffle that lineup? Where are they going to find that next player? Now, the merger of the USFL and the XFL has freed up a lot of players. 
We've seen some FAs, free agents coming north to sign with CFL clubs. This is, at least for this next year, will be a well that the CFL can dip into a little bit. And that's an exciting part of preseason in the CFL is seeing the new talent that comes up from south of the border, especially often defensive backs, running backs, receivers are, are players that are really exciting to watch. But there might be some undersized defensive linemen that aren't quite the, the size mold that the NFL is looking for that are going to come up here and have some more opportunities. Speaking of defensive linemen, and we haven't really talked about the global initiative in quite some time, Theodric Hansen of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers has now signed with the Toronto Argonauts. A great rotational defensive lineman. He could spell off guys and an absolute menace on special teams. I know he'll be missed in Winnipeg and Toronto now has a very solid global player that they've added to their roster. Hamilton Tiger Cats, the other team that seems to be knocking at the door and now have fallen backwards. This is Ed Hervey's first chance with the Tiger Cats to really put his stamp on the team. They went out hard. They signed a couple of Argonauts to their roster, hoping that that will improve their defense. Dwayne Hendricks being probably the biggest name on the defensive line. They had to give up Dylan Wynn, though, to get him. They did, and it's it's so hard to predict season standings at this point as they're still trying to fill out rosters. But from what we've seen over the last couple of years, Hamilton does seem to be trending downward as opposed to upward. Similar things could be said about the Calgary Stampeders last year. It might not take much to get those guys back up into contention. Although with Dylan Wynn leaving the Tiger Cats, with Tim White on offense being the unknown at this point as well, those are some key components that might be on their way out or are already on their way out. Bo Levi Mitchell at quarterback, again, injuries have plagued him over the last couple of seasons. I I would be nervous as a Tiger Cats fan at this point because I don't know what they can do to get to the level of where the Montreal Alouettes and the Toronto Argonauts finished last season. The East is going to be Toronto and Montreal fighting it out. Hamilton has to determine if they've got enough talent, enough chemistry to invade that party and muck it up a little bit so that they're considered. Ottawa, boy, <laughs> they could be feast or famine. They With Drew Brown, if he is the real deal, then Ottawa, look out. They are a team that will be challenging. If he isn't, and they've taken a chance and it's a miss, then it's Jeremiah Mazzoli, and can he stay healthy long enough to do something for that red-black franchise? That's another big question mark here, right? I I strongly believe that the Alouettes and Argonauts are going to be in that 1-2 position come playoff time, and it's going to be up to the Tiger Cats and the Red Blacks to decide who is strong enough to contend and get into that third playoff spot. I often predict that the East is going to be within a, a game or two of each other. Last year was an, a, an anomaly with Toronto running away with the regular season, Ottawa sliding the wrong way. But a couple of wins early on could build some confidence for those Red Blacks, and they can be right in the mix till the end of the year. It's a new schedule this year. They're going back to the old format of minimally you play every team twice. The remainder of your schedule is made up within your own division, which means that the East plays within the East fewer times than the West plays within the West. And that's 
always tough because that means the East has to do more against the West to get their numbers up. And that's I've railed against that forever, and I hope when we get a 10th team, that ends once and for all. That the NFL, you could say, well, okay, 11 of the 17 games are played outside your division, but you don't play any other division as many times as you play your own division. Well, the one piece of good news for the East is that they had the better record against the West last year. So if that continues, it won't be nearly as relevant as in previous years where the East has struggled against the West. You're right, they are playing 10 games against the West and only eight within their division. It's not ideal math. We've had pen to paper and and come up with a perfect schedule when we get to that 10th team. Years ago, I was probably in favor of this balanced play everybody twice type schedule. But as you dig deeper into fan interest, into importance of playoff position with games within your division, you start to see the importance of those division rivalries. And we're losing a little bit of that. I wasn't a huge fan of seeing the Argonauts and Tiger Cats play four times in a season. I think three is a a nice number to play a rival. Four seemed to be getting a little bit much, especially if the schedule was condensed and you end up playing three of those games in four or five weeks. It seems like you're always facing the same opponent. The advantage to the balance is you're going to see everybody come into your home stadium. You're going to play everybody once on the road and then have a couple of games in between there to to split the difference. But I, I like the importance of the games within your own division as well. And I, I hope we can sort that out and get to a, a more fair schedule when it comes to East or West. The Edmonton Elks, the Calgary Stampeders. We haven't touched Alberta too much. The Stampeders have been kind of middling in terms of signings and, and players that they've lost. The big signings, Matthew Schultz, Jamal Morrow, Trevin Tate coming from the Argonauts on offensive line, that helps. And Micah Tights, and perhaps the most significant in the defensive backfield is Demario Houston, a two-year deal from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. The Stampeders kind of rode this through pretty quietly. They did. Matthew Schiltz is going to push Jake Mayer for that starting position. This, to me, indicates that the Stampeders front office wants to see some competition. They want to see more out of Jake Mayer. I believe he'll give he'll have every opportunity to solidify his number one starting position. But if there's a capable player that can challenge him in the preseason and can step into any role thrown his way, it's Matthew Schiltz. Up the number two from Calgary to Edmonton. The Elks' biggest signing was prior to all of this, and that was McLeod Bethel-Thompson. Big trade, of course, but let's not forget that. Jake Ceresna goes to Toronto. Curly Gittins Jr. comes to the, the Elks. And from Toronto, they also signed Boris Beattie and Javon Leak. Taylor Cornelius still hasn't been signed. That surprises me. But if anything else that you see from what Edmonton has done is they've shed older players. Ed Ganey, Aaron Grimes, Adam Koner, Jake Ceresna, Stephen Dunbar, Anybody that's getting up there in terms of their career, they have let go. Curly Gittens was a a huge asset that the Elks have brought in. Having him to complement Geno Lewis in that receiving core is going to do nothing but help the Edmonton Elks. Taylor Cornelius being unsigned isn't overly surprising, especially now that BC has made a couple of quarterback moves and and signed some guys. I think that was the, the last spot 
that was a a really good fit for Cornelius was probably that number two role in BC. But now we see Dakota Prukop and Jake Dolagala move into the BC Lions quarterback room. I don't know where the next opportunity is going to be for Taylor Cornelius. The one landing spot that's left is Saskatchewan. And remember earlier in the podcast, we talked about there, there was an opportunity that somebody had to be that third string quarterback that in Saskatchewan to come in and help out. The other thing that's stunning about this whole free agent process, and we thought that the good ship Argonaut was going to land in Regina. Well, of the one player that they signed, A.J. Olette, he was on offense. Not one defender came from Toronto to the Rough Riders. And then the expectation was that the coach was going to bring them all. You're right. And that was not only us, but many CFL pundits had thought the same thing, that we were going to see an influx of defensive players come over from the Argonauts and follow the new head coach to Saskatchewan. A, a bit surprising we haven't seen it. Cap management is one of the toughest things in sports. We, we've seen now some defensive players from Toronto kind of spread around the league, but surprisingly, none have landed with the Rough Riders. Well, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have Derek Taylor back on and he's going to break this all down for us. And that should be a fascinating show. Before we get away, and this is something that I saw on Twitter and I thought it was fascinating and funny. Right after the Super Bowl, the Montreal Alouettes tweeted out to the Kansas City Chiefs, when are we going to have the world championship? We're ready. Somebody put out right after that, final score 76-3. The Alouettes then responded, 76, that's a lot. I don't think we can hang that much on them. I, I read that as well and absolutely loved it. This is the kind of publicity that can only help the CFL. Having that content, throwing it out there for the world to see is a, a great way to bring eyes towards the Canadian Football League. It was sheer genius. And I wish more teams would have that sort of tongue-in-cheek approach. Brilliant by the Montreal Alouettes. listening to our show third down gamble is hosted on podbean and can be found on apple podcasts google podcasts and spotify follow us on twitter at third down gamble join us again the third down gamble podcast audio worth watching third down gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League player and game statistics, for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.